It is April 8th, 2021. This is Rook. Today, a celebration of our 100th episode of Rook with a true Iranian icon. There are few names that conjure up melodies that millions can sing along to, but surely Fado Maus is one of them. He has written anthems and is more active than ever. Fado Maus Aslani joins us for a feature interview today about his life, his craft, his highs and lows, and his hopes for the future. A very personal interview with the Iranian-American composer, songwriter, instrumentalist, and the man with that satin voice. Fado Maus Aslani, plus a new edition of It's All Persian to Us and More. This is conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. there welcome to episode 100 of rook hope you are keeping well wherever you are tuning in from around the world salam dustan aziz i cannot believe we are at show 100 i know we uh, we are also grateful and honored by those of you who've been listening and subscribing and becoming patrons merci 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 hello the fabulous keon hi, hello groovy shion <laughs> and, and hello captain reza hello sir <laughs> happy 100 sad episode be in episode ha. <laughs> Makes no very comment. Sense, but okay. Does it make no sense? Actually, it does. Sad episode. <laughs> we are on an ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We're coming to you on SoundCloud, on Spotify, iTunes, Instagram, YouTube, Castbox, and Telegram. We are accumulating lots of followers from around the world. You know what I say to that? Hamas mm. Hamas <laughs> Listen, we have a very, very special guest coming up as our feature guest on this this historic edition of Rook, the great Farmaz Aslani, just a few minutes away. It does not get much better than this, right, Shaya? Yes, yes. Uh, and, and as I will say to him in the interview, I have for many years called him our Persian Leonard Cohen. And for me, there's really no higher compliment and, and, and no more deserving person given yeah. the quality of his writing, his voice, his poetry, his character. Yeah, even, uh, even his face. <laughs> even <me>. his face. <laughs> uh, it's a very rare English interview. I, I, don't, I can't, I'm going to ask him how many he's done. He, I, I think he's maybe done three or four English interviews in his lifetime in, in mm-hmm. over the last 40, 50 years, but uh, uh, since he's been active as, a, as an artist. But um, uh, so a very rare English interview with Faraz Aslani. Looking forward to this coming up in just a few moments. It is also the beginning of a week celebrating our first year anniversary of Rook. Yeah. We launched April 16th, 
2020. You were so young then, Keon. Oh, you were just a, a little girl. Just a mere little girl. Uh, we launched in the midst of a pandemic, and now there's still a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now almost 800,000 streams later, we're in over 200 countries around the world. We're excited that this little show is growing. Uh, on Monday, we will be joined by Dr. Fazone Milani, the foremost expert of Iranian women's literature. Uh, and an expert on Fuduk Farazad, which I want to ask her about. On our 102nd episode next week, the great broadcaster Pune Odusi will be joining me. And in the coming editions of Rook, uh, professor and author Richard Foltz, the very funny Peter Banifaz. If you haven't been um, watching him on his latest videos playing a Persian dad and a Persian son, uh, he's very funny. Peter Banifaz coming up, the acclaimed actor Nekar Zadegon, the director Bahman Gobadi, Shaya, Ooh. and the popular and accessible young chef Piaz Miaz, wow. all coming up in the all coming. All killer, no filler. <laughs> all killer, no filler, that's right. If you want to catch up on any Rook episodes or information, remember our website is at rookmedia.com, where you can also become a patron, and you can see our uh, latest episode with Kambis Hosseini there now, one that I very much enjoyed, and I know we're getting a lot of letters about that. On Monday, we're going to have mm-hmm. a lot to read and explore yeah. in our Letters of the Week pack there with Kambis Hosseini. Tomorrow, by the way, on Clubhouse, we are going to mm-hmm. do our weekly Rook Town Hall. Based on the Kambis interview, uh, the question will be, uh, are Persians allowed to be happy? <laughs> because, well, of course, because he said happy people are stupid. Uh so we'll, that's tomorrow on Clubhouse. Make sure you find me and find us there. Um, and before we go any further and get to Farmaz Aslani, I want to give a shout out to some very special folks who have helped make Rook and this episode possible, all of, all of whom are so valuable for what they do for the broader Persian community and the diaspora. So a shout out to Arash and Anita Fazelipur. I love these two. They are life partners and business partners. They're the founders of MyTerms.ca. This is a mortgage company in Ontario, Canada, MyTerms.ca. They're both born in Iran, grew up in Canada and the States. They decided to go into business and life together almost 20 years ago. And they have a really good record with MyTerms.ca, focusing on the service aspect of the mortgage business. They're very well reviewed online. They make it a big priority to give back to the Persian community as well. So Arash and Anita Fuzz Delipur, myterms.ca. Thank you to you too. Uh, this program is also brought to you with the generous support of Reza Ghazi and Greenflow Financial. So I've seen Reza Ghazi out and about over the years. He's the founder of Greenflow, and I can attest to the fact that he's tireless and passionate about community work, philanthropy, um, helping our society and Persians in general. Greenflow Financial is a multi-award winning mortgage lending and brokerage firm with offices based out of Toronto and Ottawa. The firm takes pride in its utilization of technology in all aspects of business operations. This is a very digitally forward company. Merci to Reza Ghazi and Greenflow Financial. Greenflow Financial, Kiana. Very nice, nice, I like that name. <laughs> Thank you, Kiana. I'm sure that would mean a lot to them. And a big shout out to Behnaz Brenda Jafrudi. Behnaz is a world class and award winning mortgage agent and broker here in Toronto who went to my alma mater, York University. Uh, she was born and raised in Tehran, came to Canada in 1997. She's paid by the lenders, not the clients. So she says, why not take some free advice from an industry professional who will always have your best interest in mind? 
and speak the language. You speak Behnoz Jafrudi, makes it a priority to give back to the Persian community. She's active on social media, and you can find her at her website, Brenda Jafrudi, brendajafrudi.com. A big thank you to Behnaz Brenda Jafrudi. Why don't you have three names, Keon? Thank you to Behnaz, first of all. Yes. And, uh, you could I be Keon Brenda, <laughs> not Demi. Uh, Kim, I guess, is the closest thing. Keon, Keon Kim, Kim. Demi. Actually, you've never, you've never, did you ever flirt with that? Uh, Keon is so easy. It's so, but you okay, didn't but have, Keon Docht is impossible. And the uh, worst part of it is when I first, you know, officially lived in Canada, I went to this school and it was predominantly white. And of course, there was this one boy Guess what his name was? Mm. He was Persian. Kian. right. And, yes, and yeah. I, my name was Kian, and right. he was like, it's a boy's name. So I had to differentiate and come up with Kian. Mm. Yes. Well, if I, I, I kind of, I do envy Behnaz Brenda Jafrudi because, because it's kind of like going undercover. She could be, you know, it's like, That's true. who am I out with tonight? Is it Brenda <laughs> or Behnaz? You know? Did you flirt with the idea? Uh, well, I, yes. Oh, God. I mean, my name was Gion, and then when I was a kid, my mom thought, uh, you know, that things would be easier because we're growing up in Canada if we changed it to J-E-A-N, which would, you know, but well, the intention was still to be Gion, but I mean, back when I was a kid, Iranian community is pretty new here. So back then it was like Gion, Gion, people didn't know what to expect. Is this a, what species is this person? (laughs) You know, when the teacher would get to my name the first day of school, it was such a disaster. So then we changed it to J-E-A-N when I was going into, I guess, high school or university or something I can't yeah. remember oh yeah high school high school because then I changed it back in university and then I then I was like Jean <laughs> or like Jean you know I mean it was yeah. it was never it never quite Listen. the close friends and family still called me Jean at least so. you didn't have a ch in your name try that yes it was a very difficult life Anyway, thank you to all of those folks. And uh, we have an edition of All Persian yes. to Us coming yeah, up, right? Yeah, very fitting. Now, it is, you've told me that this is somehow connected yeah. to Farmaz Aslani. Mm-hmm. All right. It is. So we've discovered something. That is Faramaz. related to Farmaz Aslani. Rel- we've discovered Farmaz. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we bring you Farmaz. All right. Let's get to the feature guest on this 100th episode of Rook, uh, Kian Docht, Kian <laughs> Kim Nademi. We'll, we'll talk to you afterwards. Reza, uh, Captain Reza and Guru Shaya, uh, stick around. Here we go. It's no exaggeration to say that my featured guest today is a legend when it comes to contemporary Iranian music. He is an iconic, beloved, and respected Iranian-American composer, songwriter, instrumentalist. He is the man with that satin voice. Take a listen to this. نجستم یار و گم کردم دیارم را نجستم یار و گم کردم دیارم را شام شام تارم بود جلوه بهارم بود دیر و پش نظارم بود همه کسم تو هر حوثم تو 
هم نفسم تو بالو پرم تو هم سفرم تو بیش و بسم تو go a little taste of some of the familiar hits of my feature guest today the singular Farmaz Aslani songs you just heard spanning over four decades of creative magic Farmaz was born in Tehran in the mid-1950s after moving to England for university and graduating from London University's College of Journalism in the early 70s he returned to Iran and worked for one of two English dailies Tehran Journal but of course it was his breakthrough as a musician that made him a public name in 1977 Farmaz Aslani signed with CBS Records and released his debut album Delamashkulia or Occupation of the Heart. It was an instant classic that has endured to this day. The song Agegerus, If One Day, from the album became one of the greatest Iranian music hits and has remained on the bestsellers chart since its debut. After the 1979 revolution in Iran, Farmaz and his family moved back to England, where he worked both as a journalist and a musician for more than a decade. Then, after a very successful U.S. tour in the early 1990s, which attracted the attention of eager Iranians all over America, Farmaz moved to the States, where he lives and works today. Throughout over 44 years of his music career, Farmaz has released six studio albums, several hit singles, some celebrated videos and poetic works, and a number of legendary collaborations with everyone from Dariush to, very recently, young Danny Asadi. Farmaz has been releasing an autobiographical video series called Droplets, and this past year put out a new single called Hanuz. We will get to all of that, but first, Farmaz Aslani joins me from Los Angeles today. Hello, sir. Hello, Zhanzhan. Hello, and hello to all the wonderful people who are watching and hearing us today. It is such an honor uh, to do this and and to do it in English. You know, um, upon telling some people that we'll be doing this interview, I had the question, uh, oh, how is Faramars' English? Uh, which is quite funny because not only is your English perfect, but you were a journalist in England for many years when you left Iran after the revolution. Does it amuse you that people do not know that side of you? Uh, well, well, there there are a lot of sides of me that people don't know, you know. But uh, well, little by little, I'm going to divulge the other sides and facets of mine. <laughs> but you know, that's one of them. You know, me, I I I, I really the, don't like to speak about myself. But uh, here and there, you know, my stories uh, come out. You know that you know I, I was a journalist before I started my music career. But uh, then, you know, music career took over and uh, I gave up as a journalist, you know, I gave up my job at Tehran Journal and uh, joined CBS, you know, who had just arrived in Iran. Uh, and I was one of the first artists, you know, they signed up. And uh, Del Mashkuli or the occupation of the heart, you know, is uh, the result of that kind of... Uh, uh, beginning with uh, CBS. I think uh, I think the reason people wouldn't know that your English is so perfect is because they don't often hear you speak in English. I mean, in your shows, I've seen yeah. I've seen you perform a number of times. Sometimes you'll speak in English, but you haven't done a lot of English interviews. Why is that? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, perhaps you know, I have done about three or four all these years. You know, I mean, uh, one in London. Uh, with uh, a couple of them with BBC, perhaps, you know, many years ago. 
And uh, yes, yes, you're right. You know, perhaps, you know, four or five uh, English interviews as such. Yeah. In that case, it's a it's a great honor. Before we leave the idea of you being a journalist, I'm curious where you feel the journalist in you intersects with the songwriter and artist. Much of your music, if if one were to generalize, would would generalize to say it's romantic, it's poetic, rather than political or, say, based in the news of the day. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like those are two different sides of you, or do you feel like the journalist in your DNA informs you as an artist somehow? To be honest with you, you know, one of the first the lessons of journalism is observation. You have to observe, you know, and uh, as, as a musician, I also observe because I write uh, all my own lyrics and all my own music. If I have sang from other people, has been from Molana, has been from Hafez, uh, Seperi, or uh, other contemporary and classical poets. Uh, but usually I sing my own lyrics because uh, my reason is that I know myself better than anyone else. Mm. I can express myself through my words. But uh, if, if I sing from another person, I cannot, you know, really and truly uh, relay his message. You know, I don't have that in me. You know, I have to feel it first and foremost. Ye divare, ye divare, ye divare Ye divare ke poshtesh hitchi nadare To ke divaro pushidan siyah abrun Nemiyad dige porshid az tushun birun so uh, it's funny because, you know, the, to begin with, when I went to England, my father wanted me, you know, to study law as he had. Uh, but I found uh, that uh, very cumbersome, especially, you know, when they put the British Constitution in front of me, which was a hefty book. I believe me, I couldn't carry it. Even as a young man, I couldn't carry that book. And uh, after a while, you know, I, I thought, you know, I, well, this is not what I want. I uh, gave it a respite for about a year or so, and then I uh, went to College of Journalism, and you know, fortunately, I was accepted there, and I started journalism Be- because you know it worked with words. Yes, and I have always been a lover of words. You know, yes. I mean, uh, write written words, spoken words. You know, I'm always fascinated by because. My grandfather used to, as a child, you know, I was the only child. And uh, my grandfather really spent time with me. And, you know, he used to tell me all kind of stories from uh, different books, from Saadi, from all the Kalilo, from Molana, you know. So, you know, the words to me are magic. And uh, that's why, you know, they're the way of expression for me. And by the way, not just words, but language. It feels like so much of your life and works are uh, intertwined with language in, in the formal Farsi that you famously speak, in the in your perfect English that we can hear right now, in the fact that you studied French as a little kid. Is it safe yeah. to assume you love language? Uh, very early in life, I found, you know, that I have a knack for languages, you know. So to me, it was very easy to learn different languages. And of course, you know, I went to a French primary school for six years. Even before I went to primary school, my grandfather, my uh, maternal grandfather, uh, taught me the Latin uh, alphabet and uh, he really spent time with me. So when I went to uh, St. Louis school, you know, in Tehran, 
I was quite ahead of the other kids, you know, who were there. And uh, since then, uh, I've always, always loved language. I love to find the roots and the rudiments of the language. And it's like a discovery for me when I find the new word and I find its connection to other words. And when I was a journalist, you know, I wrote a series on Persian language and uh, where it came from and what was the mother language that Persian came from. And uh, through that, I found, you know, the nuances and, you know, the different eras of the Persian language. Are and you are you OCD about it? Like, I, I, are, do you, does it bother you when people speak in the vernacular, if they use, like, street language? Or? No, but, uh, but nowadays, you know, when I hear the youngsters speak, you know, I, it, it breaks my heart because, you know, our language is a beautiful language, very expressive language. If uh, anything, you know, it is the language of poetry because it's so expressive, uh, Persian or Farsi is. When I see it, you know, spoken uh, uh, without respect, you know, it really gets me. I personally, when I write, I try not to use the uh, Arabic letters which are in the Persian language, which is like Tain, Zain, you know, these uh, ugly sounding words, you know, which... Uh, don't agree with the poetry that it is in our uh, language. If we take those words, which are about eight of them, out of the Persian uh, alphabet, then we, we come up with a language which is much softer. You know, I, I want to work through your story and uh, with the music that at each sort of point in the story at each goalpost yeah. as we go through the, your your decades but let me just ask you this first when you we played that little medley up the top yes. when you sit and hear snippets of your your hits your past songs yeah. are you someone who uh delights in hearing them or, or or do you think of things you would have done differently and you just want to focus forward it is uh Perhaps, like uh, when you ask the actors, do you watch your own work? Yes. Some of them say we don't. <laughs> Some say yes, we do. And we criticize ourselves when we watch ourselves, you know, and say, you know, we could have done it much better. Uh, to me, you know, because the lyrics are mine, and it was a final decision to put down those lyrics and sing those lyrics. Lyrics wise, no, but music wise, yes. <laughs> Through years, you know, for instance, my first uh, album, uh, Occupation of the Heart, you know, there are some songs in it which I want to do with different arrangements now. Uh, because then the lyrics acquired that kind of arrangement. Nowadays, you know, my metabolism changed <laughs> and I wanted to, I want to hear it differently. But that's so interesting that you're, you stand by the lyrics. 
the 27 year old Fahmar is writing that album you're fine with all the lyrics they they are I mean as you should be you know they're a snapshot in time but but that you don't put on the critical lens about your writing in that sense you know when I started writing my own lyrics uh, I had an idea of, uh, I, I knew poetry very well you know poetry to me is second nature it's like my you know this it's my nature, you know, to write poetry and, you know, to speak poetry. And it's very easy for me to write lyrics and write poems. When uh, I started writing my own lyrics, I didn't, I, I had all kind of uh, complicated uh, poetry in my head, but I wanted to start with the simplest lyrics you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Because I said, if, I go with the very heavy lyrics that I have. Nobody, you know, will understand it to begin with. And I probably, you know, alienate myself to my listener. So I used very simple lyrics, which is Agiyaru's very simple lyrics. You know, it's uh, almost the way you speak in the street, you know. And then I knew much, much deeper and much more sophisticated language for poetry. But I said, no, it, 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 this is not right. You know, I, I want to be with my audience, with my listeners. So let me start simple and then carry them with me to heavier lyrics and heavier poetry. And that's what happened. So interesting. Yes. When I was asking the question about the vernacular, I was actually thinking about Agegeru's and I was thinking about how that that is a very, that's a very accessible language from someone who is as accomplished as as you are around language. But there's something else too that um, I, I should make this distinction, I think, for um, for non-Iranians uh, watching or listening to this as well, which is that when we talk about you, we're talking about someone, as you've pointed out a couple of times now already in this interview, that is very much involved in every aspect of the creation of your pieces. Like, And that wasn't really a tradition amongst many of your contemporaries. Um, it still isn't. I, I mean, and your lyrics are very special, and they are written by you. When I talk about you to my um, Canadian friends who may not know of you yet, I say you're like our Iranian Leonard Cohen. No, nobody wrote the lyrics for Leonard Cohen. You know that—that that is who he is. Is his lyrics and his music. But the fact that you were bold enough to to take the step to do that really kind of sets you apart. How did you know that that was okay? Or what was your influence to be able to do that in the 70s when many other famous singers, great ones, were had lyricists who would write things for them? Yeah, yeah. it's funny that you, say, you should mention that because uh, when I got to England, the first, one of the very first songs, you know, that I heard was uh, Leonard Cohen's, you know, first album, you know, the songs of Leonard Cohen with Suzanne, you know, yeah. and all uh, birds on the wire. And, and uh, before I listened to Cohen, I knew him through his poetry. I had read his book of poetries and he had appealed to me because, you know, I said, how, uh, you know, musical his words are. I didn't know he, he sang or he, you know, he, he uh, was a musician as well. Hmm. And then in England, you know, I realized that, you know, well, you know, the man is an all-rounder, you know, I mean, he writes his own lyrics, his own music. That's what I wanted to do, a package of myself, of my soul, you know, to, you know, say, well, this is what I have, you know, uh, take it or leave it, you know, I, the need is mine. 
I always say, you know, I always say the need to write and sing and perform is mine. I need to do that. You know, if you tape the beak of a bird, you know, probably dies <laughs> if you cannot sing. That's like me. If I don't write, if I don't sing, you know, perhaps, you know, I'm, I finished. Miduni de la sire, a sire tobe mire. Miduni bedune to, delam arum nagire. Miduni del tange to, nemude ahange to. Vali vibude chuyat, vasi vibude kuyat. It is such a uh, interesting journey. I always say, you know, I am the in the middle here. The source is somewhere else, you know, which is the inspiration and the inspirational. You catch that source and then you carry it and you deliver it to your listener, to your uh, audience. I am in the middle. I, I like a wire. I am like a wire. Mm. You know, the source is somewhere else and the receiver in other places. So. I'm the connection in between the two. In the beginning, I mean, back in that late 70s period, did anyone say to you, I mean, did someone at CBS Records or one of your friends or a producer or something say to you, listen, buddy, actually, we should get Iraj Jaratiatai to, to write the lyrics for you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Because first of all, they had the problem with uh, the arrangements of my music. When I got to Iran, Khanume Paris Zangene, which is an opera singer, I was invited to her place one night and uh, many uh, big uh, <coughs> musicians were there, you know, like uh, Murtaza Khan Hanane, you know, and uh, Farhad Meshkat, who uh, then was the director of the Tehran Symphony Orchestra. They were there and I had uh, written a couple of songs, you know, so I performed them. And at the end of the evening, this gentleman came to me, a tall gentleman, very, very uh, nice face, and said, well, my name is uh, this and that. I have uh, come uh, to establish CBS records in Tehran. And we want to have uh, Tehran as the center of all our Middle Eastern uh, activities, mm -hmm. production and all these kind of things. Uh, can you come and see me tomorrow? So I went to his office in the morning and then I was working for Tehran Journal. I went to his office in the morning and he said to me, uh, the songs that you sang last night, who were they by? I said, well, they are my own songs. He said, how many of them do you have? I, then I had about 21, 22 songs, which uh, 10 of which, you know, went into the first album, Del Mashkulia. I said, you know, well, 2021, I said, well, okay, you know, I'm going to send a producer to come and uh, work with you and uh, select some of the songs. Uh, Mr. Marcel Estefania, who was uh, a very fantastic pianist and uh, musical director, uh, even at the National Iranian the Radio and Television, he came to my house as a producer of my work and uh, we selected uh, 10 songs, you know, we, we chose 10 songs between all the songs that I had. And he said, these 10 songs are good. We can go with them. So I went to uh, Studio Pop in Tehran with one guitar and we recorded all these 10 songs. And CBS wanted to give it 
a huge arrangement. I said, no, I want a couple of guitars, percussions, perhaps a flute here or there, and bass, of course. They said, no, you know, I mean, this is not the fashion. People are not used to that. People would love to hear huge orchestrations. I said, no, well, you know, I mean, my words will get lost. So I won that battle. I'm so glad I did because, you know, otherwise it would have been dated so badly, the songs. So that's what I did. And I said to Marcel, Marcel, who is the best guitar arranger and player? He said, Armik. So we gave the songs to Mr. Armik, and he came up with the most fantastic arrangement for the guitar and only two or three guitars, percussion and a flute and bass, and that was it. That was the arrangement. And still now, after 40 some odd years, when the youngsters hear it, they say, hey, well, we thought this was a new record. Right. It really stands out. It was, you, you, you took the words, I'm, I'm so glad you went there because it was something I wanted to ask you about. The production blows me away. I mean, and, and, and I think you're right that part of the reason it's a classic record is because it's, I mean, it's an overused word to say timeless. Valley, it doesn't sound like this, that moment of the 19, late 1970s with the, the disco or yeah. the production or the horns or whatever. And so um, uh, it really is a surprising listen to how stripped down it is. Let me just play a little bit of, uh, I mean, it's inevitable that we have sure. to play a tiny bit of it. Let's play a bit of uh, Agueiruz just to, just to hear that, what you were just talking about. اگه میخوای پیشم بمونی بیا تا باقی جوونی بیا تا پوست دست و خونه نظر دلم تنها بمونه بذار شبم رنگی بگیره دوباره آهنگی بگیره بگیره رنگ اون دیاری که توش منو تنها نذاری اگه یه روزی نوم تو تو گوش من صدا کنه دوباره باز غمت بیاد که منو مبتلا کنه به دل میگم کاریش نباشه بذار درد تو دواشه بره توی تموم چونم که باز براد آواز بخونم Legendary song from Farmaz Aslani's debut album, Occupation of the Heart and Age Yeruz. Um, Farmaz, when you were recording that, when you guys were doing that, did you have any idea how special that song was, that it would effectively become the anthem you know, for uh, Iranians for decades to come? I didn't, to be honest with you, because uh, I was so excited to go into the studio, you know, and... Uh, have CBS, you know, Columbia, you know, record my work, you know, which I was, you know, on the top of the world, to be honest with you. I didn't think about the success of it. I didn't think about anything else. Only that my music was recorded by CBS and it's going to be that, uh, you know, logo of CBS in the corner of my, you know, album. That was very exciting for me. I, I never thought, you know, it gets so huge, you know, that be, uh, it's been sung in so many different languages, you know, professionally and uh, otherwise. 
But Jean, uh, let me uh, go to uh, when you asked me about lyrics. Yes, I haven't forgotten. You asked me, you know, whether there was pressure that I should use other, yes. or other yes. lyrics. Yes, yes, there was, there was. But uh, my reasoning was that uh, I, I want to express myself. I want to have a package of my own self. You know, I mean, I cannot uh, represent somebody else's thoughts. I can do that, you know, if I read their poetry aloud. But to sing and, you know, to write music on, you know, is a different uh, animal, you know, which I rather use my own lyrics. And mind you, the uh, big names that you mentioned, you know, one of them said to me, well, your lyrics are so pishapafta, they're so ordinary, so, you know, passe and all these kind of things, you know, they're cheap, you know, I mean, you should write, you know, more sophisticated lyrics, you know, and I said, well, I cannot, you know, uh, to begin with, shock my audience into wor good words. Mm. I want them to come with me step by step, you know, and grow with me. You know, I mean, uh, yes, that, that that there was a pressure in that sense as well. I mean, again, the amazing thing is that you, because even when that record came out at first, I'm sure I have to imagine there were people going, what's going on here? There's no big production on this. You know, what does this guy think he's doing? You know, uh, first, and, of all, first of all, the directors of CBS, you know, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Weinberg, you know, had a feat. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, uh, yeah. They said, you know, well, this this is not uh, usual. You know, with what we hear is different now, and uh, I proved them wrong. But my instinct proved them wrong. You know, it wasn't a decision that I made. My instinct told me otherwise, and I I said to myself, I am not expecting anything from this. Let me at least be honest with my own instinct. I, I think I have my answer based on the enthusiasm you're showing now. But but just to ask the question, I mean, what is your relationship with Agayeruz at this point? What, what, you know, you're doing an interview in 2021 and somebody's asking you about that song. D does it get to a point where you just go... Do you get bass enough already? I'm, I'm, I'm tired of talking about this song. Never. You don't. I swear to God, never. Every time I sing it, it is like the first time. I mean, uh, about a week or so ago, you know, I did something with Danny Asadi. You know, he played the tar, you yes. know, the Persian instrument, and uh, I played the guitar, the chords, you know, and I sang. It was, it was uh, uh, my feeling was as if I was that young man who was uh, sitting, you know, uh, in the parking lot of club in Sunset Boulevard finishing this song Agiyaruz, you know, to play for his friends, you know, I was exactly the same person. I couldn't, uh, you know, differ between the two. My uh, love and my enthusiasm and my verve was exactly the same. But you know, a lot of artists, uh, and you, I'm sure you understand, want to say, hey, man, listen to my most recent work. I've done a lot of stuff since then. It's, it's, I, it feels gracious of you to, to allow us to still uh, exploit that song when we talk about you. But I mean, we can't avoid it because it's, it is, it's an anthem, right? Well, if it if it wasn't good, I shouldn't have put it out, you know. So, but if I uh, released it, that meant you know that I believed in it then, 
and uh, I'm so happy, you know, that uh, it, it, it was accepted the way it was and it was received the way it was. I am blessed, honestly, after more than 40 years of recording that song, you know, uh, to be able, you know, to uh, say to the young people that, uh, you know, we were going in the right direction, you know, so... Do you get the publishing royalties on it, Firemars, or is this another one of those things where it's yes. a, it's no, no, I have, I have it. There are there are complications, you know, but, uh, but since you know I am the author, you know, of the works, you know, I that's great. Have the publishing rights. That's yeah. great. You know, you know, I was going to say. I mean, the thing about you being this songwriter, this I- iconic songwriter, um, is that it, it's all on you then. You you can only put out stuff when you've when you're able to write when it's coming to you and you know if I mean it's not a surprise to you the people have said to you you're an iconic songwriter you're not a entirely a prolific one you've put out six studio albums in in four decades and when you've been asked about that you say I cannot force my writing I have to wait for the songs to come to me tell yeah. me what it feels like for a song to come to you. Uh, first of all, let me say, as I mentioned uh, a while back in our interview, uh, it is very easy for me to write lyrics. You know, in one of my concerts uh, at UCLA uh, many years ago, I picked uh, four people from four different roles of the audience, mm. and each one of them I asked for a word. They each gave me a word. Right there and then, I wrote a poem and I sang it for them and I put music on it and I sang it. It's that easy for me to write lyrics and to write poetry. But the thing that travels through me is a different story altogether. It's got nothing to do with the technique of writing. It has something to do with all feelings. It's all encompassing and in enveloping me in a different uh, uh, sort of atmosphere and I don't know what happens to be honest with you Oh, اگر روزی نگاه تو مونسه چشمان من باشد قلعه سنگین تنهایی Most of my lyrics, I do not even uh, I don't even rewrite them. Wow. I write from the beginning to the end. Perhaps, you know, here or there I change a couple of words, but nothing major. Because then it is not I who is writing, it is something that is traveling through me. It is something that uh, behests that I should write the lyrics down like that. So does that mean that you can't uh, say, tomorrow from 2 to 6 p.m. I'm going to sit and write? It, no. it, that, would, that would be useless. <laughs> you have to wait until it comes to you? Yes, that, that is why, you know, it takes me such a long time, you know, to put out, you know, albums because uh, I find it dishonest to myself, first of all, mm. to uh, do otherwise. Otherwise, you know, I can, you know, but right now it's so easy to have albums, you know, I mean, uh, you can have it uh, 
very fast right. uh, with the facilities that we have at our disposal right now. But uh, I, I, I do not feel it. I do not, uh, you know, I always say it is better to work less than work worse. Hmm. You know, Cam Curry better as bad career. Are you are you hard on yourself? I remember Peter Gabriel making the so record and it took him a year and a half until people just went, Peter, just put it out. You know, are you are you like one of those people who no, sits I'm on not, it? I'm not like that either. I'm not like that either. It is an instinctive thing. Out of instinct I know what works and what doesn't work. Hmm. My instinct tells me, you know, if uh, at times if there is a little mistake here or there. I let it go because it's an honest mistake and it even uh, adds to it a little bit, you know, than being so, you know, pure and, you know, clean cut and everything, you know, which purists don't like. But uh, <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, an honest mistake is, is cool too. And uh, no, 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 I'm not hard on myself. I'm not hard on myself at all because the moment uh, that I know that the song is born, then I'm comfortable. And... I have to be pushed into recording it <laughs> because then I have done what I wanted to do. I have written the music, I've written the lyrics and I've uh, sang it for myself and I played the guitar and, you know, I'm satisfied. <laughs> you know, my wife pushes me into recording it. My friends push me into recording the song, you well, know? You mean you d you're not eager for audiences to hear your new stuff? It's, it's like... I am, but, you know, live. You know, perhaps, you know, if I go to a party, I, you know, play my new song. But the thing is that uh, the other, uh, where was it? You know, about three or four years ago, Marjan, my wife, came and said, you know, let me look at your uh, voice memos. In my voice memos, she found 19 songs, which I made an album of and told and so many other songs are in, were in there. And I had just, uh, you know, recorded it scratch and I had left it there <laughs> and I had done nothing to them. And she said to me, are you crazy? These are all hits, these are beautiful songs. And of course it was Yar, all these songs were in that list. Well, thank, thank God that she forced you. I'm gonna come back to your most recent records. Um, sure. First, take me back because you you mentioned a couple of things that I must circle back to. Mm. You were born in Tehran in the mid 1950s, and mm. you you were talking a, a few minutes ago about uh, fondly about how your grandfather had this major impact on you, especially when it came to learning poetry. I guess he can be credited with how you blossomed into a writer, but it was also your mother who surrounded you with music. Can you briefly tell us about those early days in Tehran? From the moment I opened my eyes, uh, I saw poets, musicians, and uh, interesting characters in our house. My father and mother, you know, loved to have people around and they had many friends. My father, you know, played tar and sitar, you know, on the side, you know, he always said, you know, this is okay to have it on the side. And that's why, you know, he was against me becoming musician, said, you know, I mean, you can have it as a hobby, you know, not seriously. So he dabbled in playing the tar and everything. My mother had a beautiful voice, singing voice, wonderful singing voice. Many times she was uh, invited to go and um, 
on the radio and all these things, you know, but my father said, you know, you better uh, have it in our house and not publicly. So that was it. But my mother's voice was my beginning of uh, finding that you can express yourself through singing. And uh, if you're happy, if you're sad, you know, there, there's a way of expression. Hmm. And many poets, you know, uh, came to our house, many musicians of the time, Yohaki, Maleks, the brothers Malek, you know, uh, Mr. Banan, from whom I've got this gift of uh, singing that uh, you can do so much with your voice and uh, express yourself through your voice. And Mr. Banan was a real uh, icon for me then. So uh, it was inevitable that I should, you know, be interested in music and lyrics, especially through my grandfather and seeing the poets in our house. And uh, I've always said, you know, perhaps this is repetitious, but I said, you know, if there were uh, mathematicians coming to our house, perhaps, you know, I was a great mathematician <laughs> now, I'm not a musician, but you know, the, fortunately for me, you know, musicians and poets came to our house. آدم که یاد گذشته هاش میفته چشمونش از گریه اشکالود میشه تصویری از روزهای رفته میبینه که در اون هر چهره ای نابود میشه هر پرستویی که به سویی میپره خبر پایون فصلی رو میبره هر گل تازه ای که چشم باز میکنه به خودم میگم که این نیز میگذره When you talk about those early years in Tehran, the way you talk about it is quite romantic. And it's also clear that you uh, are a romantic, I think. Uh, tell me about Fatty Bandit. Can I ask you about her? Oh, yes. Fatty Bandit was eight. I was six. And uh, she was a neighbor's girl. And I fell in love with her because uh, she always smelled of uh, Nivea and Blendex cream, you know, that she wore on her face and on her hands. And uh, I always uh, associate the, the smell of those two creams with Faribande. Faribande comes to mind. And uh, I fell in love with her and it was true love. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean to me that was An older love. woman. You were six. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. She was two years <laughs> my senior. <laughs> uh, but uh, unfortunately, you know, they departed and uh, that uh, emptiness stayed with me because, you know, I really missed her, you know, because uh, I said in one of the droplets, you know, the droplets of my life, uh, that uh, in order to uh, throw uh, snowballs at her, <laughs> I had prepared some snowballs, you know, but, you know, she wasn't there anymore. And the snowballs melted in the corner of the garden without her. 
and uh, yeah, it, it was it was very touching uh, the feelings I had for. Her. It's beautiful the story you tell in, in Droplets in your autobiographical uh, video series. That's where I got it from. That's why I, I wanted to ask her about her. Do, <laughs> do we know what happened to Fairy Bender? Did, I mean, if if only she knew you were going to become a superstar, I'm sure you would have. Uh, <laughs> she would have stuck with you. She would have stayed in the neighborhood. I I do not know what happened to Fairy Bender. Fairy Bender and her family left uh, our neighborhood and they went to another place and another young girl you know perhaps uh, the same age as i uh, moved uh, into their house and of course you know i mean i fell in love with that girl <laughs> then <laughs> because you know it was convenient was a neighbor <laughs> you know and uh, that girl you know died of diphtheria oh. and that really left a big right. hole in my heart because i remember you know i was so upset and I cried so much that my mother used to console me and, you know, uh, tell me that these things happen and poor thing is with the angels and on. But that didn't mean anything to me with the angels. I didn't want her to be with the angels. I wanted her to be with me and not the angels. And, uh, and that and the death of my pigeon, you know, the yes. two uh, introductions to the end of mortality yes yeah introduce mortality to me yeah um by, by the way it sounds like you your love is based on geography whoever's living next door to you you fall in love with <laughs> <laughs> unless they're not pleasing to the eye <laughs> you know you you things seem to be really falling into place for you 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 have this uh, as you've described it this wonderful these wonderful memories of of tehran you end up uh, after high school going to london to study as a journalism and then you come back to iran and of course this is the moment after working at tehran journal etc that you have that moment as a musician where you sign to cbs that iconic that classic first album comes out you eke out a second album hafez a memorandum in 1978 yeah. before you are farmer effectively forced to leave Iran uh, mm -hmm. during the revolution or, or right before it. Um, I haven't heard a lot in interviews that you've done about what that moment was like for you. This young guy who has just summited, who has just found his, his success being forced to leave the country and effectively leave his career. Uh, tell, tell me what that was like. Uh, then we were right in the middle of so many things happening that I couldn't look at it that way. You know, I, I knew that what I was doing yesterday, going to studio easily and, you know, recording was not going to happen anymore. I knew that, you know, CBS was being, you know, dismantled. The revolutionary the, the personnel came and, you know, took CBS over. And, uh, you know, and in the middle of everything, my wife was British, my children went to English school and the English school was closed. Yeah. And yeah. since my wife was British, I felt uh, that for her safety, you know, and uh, that was one of the reasons, you know, I left Europe. Perhaps, you know, I wouldn't have left if I was not uh, married or I was not married to a foreign uh, national. Uh, and my children had no school and they were used to the, the school they went to. So we decided, you know, to leave and go to England, you know, which was uh, my second home at that time. 
And there I realized the tragedy had hit, you know, and uh, I am not uh, uh, going to see the fruits of my labor as it was, you know. And everybody said to me, oh, it was so short-lived. And through that, you know, I said, oh my God, they're right. It was short-lived. It was only two years after I recorded that we had to leave Iran. خورشید ما گرمی هاشو از دست میده آسمون فیروز رنگی هاشو حالا برچیده خدایا این مردم کوکی چی میگن it was it was it was uh, such a you know chaotic time to uh, be honest with you my mind was racing here and there you know what are we going to do we were limited in the amount of money we could take out i had two kids you know and uh, what was I going to do? You know, mm-hmm. uh, they wouldn't let us take more than $10,000 between all of us out of Iran. Mm-hmm. And uh, what could you do with $10,000? You don't have a home, you don't have a car, you don't have uh, clothes. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it was, uh, but, you know, uh, life goes on. And If I were to say, how do you characterize the 1980s for you? Um, would it just basically be what you just said, which is a, a very, very difficult time? Um, sequestered in England. I mean, I'm no doubt doing some things that you loved, but the trajectory of how it all happened for you is is really, um, mm-hmm. uh, of course, the denouement. Later on in in life, it get, you know you your 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 success is there, but um, it, it must have been heartbreaking. It was in a way, but, you know, I mean, I didn't have time to uh, sit down and, you know, mope about it. Uh, I had to do something because of my kids and everything. So, you know, I did some translations, you know, I worked with some publications uh, uh, as a journalist, as a freelancer. And uh, also, you know, I did some cabaret uh, singing at nights, you know, with RF, you know, with uh, for many months or perhaps a year or two, you know, we had a, a club together, you know, I sang in that club uh, and uh, it was very successful, you know, because, you know, every the Iranian there, you know, thought they were going back home. So they were willingly spending money, you know, <laughs> and nightclubs and everything, but things changed little by little. And uh, uh, yeah, you know, I uh, had to make a living and... Uh, uh not so much time you know to look back and uh, my nature is not uh, uh that uh, i sit down and you know regret things or you know say oh my god it should have been this way but it wasn't no i'm not like that you know i'm i uh, perhaps i'm more naive than that you know i mean <laughs> i uh, as uh, brecht says you know he who laughs has not heard the bad news yet <laughs> <laughs> but but honestly like uh, you know the name of the program is rook uh, if if you if you were to 
think back, I mean, was there ever a moment where you were, like you'd be forgiven if you felt, I mean, despite all of your success, that your career was stolen from you and, and, and to feel some bitterness that like some of your contemporaries were already better known by the time of the revolution. So they could parlay that into a career for the next few decades. Yes. You, you had just become, you know, this sensation and mm-hmm. uh, when things were sort of stopped. So I don't think people would blame you for being bitter. You never felt that way? I swear to God, I have, I have never been bitter in my life. There are some uh, uh, feelings that I've never experienced in my life. One is jealousy. I've never felt envious or jealous of anything or anyone. That, I don't know what it's like. I don't know what that feeling is like. And another one is uh, regret and, uh, you know, feeling uh, negative about uh, it should have been this way, it wasn't, you know, look uh, how unfortunate I am, you know, that this was, uh, you know, the way it had to be. But no, 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 you know, it's... uh, when you uh, when your mind races, you know, with uh, songs and lyrics and music, you know, there is a different world inside you. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot mm-hmm. uh, look at it uh, in a negative way, and you cannot because you know you cannot do anything about it. You know, that was something which was out of my hand. I had not decided what any of it. You know, I mean, it was out of our hands, and uh, we had to cope with it in a way. By the 1990s, when you moved to America, yeah, I mean, there's also, you know, uh, Bob Aka, your dear friend Bob Aka, I mean, he has talked yes, a bit about this one. Uh, uh, but there, there's that notion that you're a star in Iran or in, in those circles, but you move to America and Americans don't know you. I think of the the heartbreaking uh, story of Behrouz Vosiri, who comes to America and has yeah. to start a gas station, you know, because uh, <laughs> he's like this, you know, the, the, one of the legendary he actors. Was, he was uh, as big as Robert De Niro. Anymore. Right, right, right. Did you experience some of that? I mean, did, did was it was it hard to be Farmaz Aslani and to go to the local shop in, in Washington or Los Angeles and have the person not recognize you? Uh, no, because I'm not that uh, self-centered. No, <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, but let me tell you something. Uh, I, I, I must say, you know, all of this, uh, that uh, the longevity and also the continuation of my work, I owe to that song, Agiruz. That song, you know, sort of uh, uh, has a life of its own. Mm-hmm. There are people who know the song, but don't know my face, right. you know? So there are many occasions I go to a place, you know, and the guy says, you know, the, the, you look familiar to me, you know, what, what have you done? The guy says, oh, this is the guy who sang Aguirre Rus. And then they recognize me through the song, you know, I mean, it's like that. But in the 90s, uh, the first uh, trip I had to the United States, I was living in London then. It was 92, which I was invited uh, to come and perform at Shrine Auditorium with uh, uh, Strons and Farah, uh, Mr. Shahdad Rouhani opened with the Kota Orchestra and uh, uh, Black Cats, the new Black Cats, you know, uh, were there and uh, other artists were there, you know, I was the headliner that night and uh, I realized, you know, wow, people are singing Aguirre's with me (laughs) (laughs) in Shrine Auditorium, you know, packed crowd are singing Aguirre's with me, you know, and then I realized, you know what, this song is more famous than I am. 
And uh, since then, to be honest with you, I I owe it to Agiyaruz uh, my fame and uh, uh, the fact, you know, that uh, I, I was allowed to work more and uh, create more and uh, have an incentive perhaps, you know, was uh, through that song, which uh, I'm always thankful for. A few years after that Shrine Auditorium uh, gig, in the late 1990s, in 1999, in fact, you put out your third record. And this is this is your first major studio record since the late 70s, since you were in Iran, called yes. Days of Songs and Sorrow. Let me just play a little bit of the title track from that record. روزهای بلند و بی فرجان از فوان نگفته ها هم بود روزگار سکوت و تنهایی هی هم خونس خیشتن گشتن سال خوردن به کوچه های غریب تیغ افسوس بر little taste of the song Days of Songs and Sorrow from the album of the same name that came out in 1998, the third Farmaz Aslani record, and the first record that you made post-revolution. Um, what do you remember about that time, making that record, and how it felt to be birthing a, a new album again? I had written the songs many years prior to that, and it took me a while, you know, to uh, finish the album because uh, I was in England and uh, my mind was not uh, right then, you know, with the, was what not was not with it, you know. I had some uh, personal uh, relationship problems, you know, in England, and uh, which fortunately was uh, solved, so I was able to finish my record and finish the album. Um, some songs there that I really, really like and uh, think I've stayed uh, true to the fashion that I started with Agiyaruz and Divar and Yarampu and uh, De La Sire. It's all the continuation of uh, that uh, first work of mine. And uh, recently, you know, the album I did with uh, Babak Amini that you mentioned, you know, the, yes. all the arrangements of the eight songs are Babak's and I always wanted to have something uh, as a memorandum of our work together and our uh, travels and concerts together. So I'm uh, very happy to see that the album uh, Midnight Till Dawn uh, which is all uh, arranged by Bobak John yes. and uh, it's my music and my lyrics and uh, Cheke is in it, Historia Dun Amor is in uh, it. You, you, uh, you, you stole my thunder. I'm coming to Cheke because it's actually <laughs> my favorite, one of my favorite songs by anyone ever, in fact. I, I, it is just such a beautiful song. But I should mention that in the anticipation of doing this interview, I actually contacted Bobak to say, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you know I'm in interviewing Farah Mares and I want it to be a really special interview, is there anything that you think I should bring up? Uh, you know, he mentioned a couple of things from your, oh, oh I know he loved Vigan. Vigan was a big influence on him and uh, yeah. this and that. And, you know, but he said, he's always been so stylish and chic. What's up with this guy that he's always so stylish? And, and it was, and then I thought about it. I've never, 
I've never seen a picture of you. I don't even know if they exist unkempt or, you know, you are always so meticulously presented. He's right. You are stylish and chic. Is that come naturally or is that something that's very important? To My you? father, you know, who always made sure, you know, that I was uh, properly, you know, uh, attired and properly uh, groomed. But uh, I also think, you know, that it is uh, a sort of sign of respect for the people that you meet and for the society that you're in. You know, it's a respectful thing to always uh, be uh, at your best uh, dressed and, uh, you know, uh, groomed and uh, clean and <laughs> all that kind of uh, thing. Uh, I think he was kind of being cheeky, but he's he's absolutely right about you, you being chic. Uh, in 2010, you put out a record called The Third Line, and then your most yeah. recent record in 2017, you talked about that you did with Bob Ack, uh, and you talked about the song Check Care. Uh, let me play a bit of this because it, it is just gorgeous writing, and I, and I want to remind people of the song, and then I want to ask you a little bit about where this song came from. Go ahead, Sean. Garshave. تنهایی من عشق بود و شمع و شراب بوی تنت پیچیده بود در سرزمین رخت خواب تا سهرگه یاد تو بود مونس من در شب مرغ شب بر شاخ میخواد از شبانه خوب دیدار The song Check Care I'm stepping on Babak's solo there right after That's from 2017 Faramaz Aslani It is such a gorgeous song Tell, tell me about that song I was sitting, you know, with my uh, uh, pen and paper and I was jotting something down and uh, I suddenly said to myself, you haven't written uh, any songs recently. What has happened to you? As if there is no drop left in this jog anymore. Hmm. This was the beginning of it. And I said, wow, that sounds good. Say something, do something. Mm-hmm. And then this became <laughs> the song, you know, the urge <laughs> to write a song became the song. That, that is how it happened. You know, I had felt like a drug that had no water in it. Mm-hmm. I felt empty, you know. That chorus melody, is, did you have that first then, and then you wrote the lyrics to it? The chorus melody is just, uh, it's outstanding. I uh, usually, to be honest with you, lyrics and music come together for me. Because when I say a word, I know, and write the lyrics down, I know which music goes with that, and usually comes with that. So when I said, Yek chekenis darin sabu, the beginning of the song, I said, Yek chekenis darin sabu, 
I said it that way. And then I continued with the music. It, the music was in it already, you know? And it's, 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 it's funny, you know, I mean, I don't, I cannot put my finger on it, but it is that way, you know, to me, every word has its own music. You know, there's a poet, a French poet, young man of 19, you know, who died at 19, uh, Arthur Rambo. He says every word has a color. Hmm. For instance, A is white. Uh, C is gray. You know, all these uh, different uh, words have different colors. And to me, every word has a different note yeah. of music in it. So uh, it, it happens that way. I cannot say, you know, I've read, written the lyrics. Now I want to put music on it. Music and lyrics happen at the same time together. With a song like Chekia, are you sitting there with your guitar or does the melody come to you and, and then you put chords to it? Yeah, then I go, you know, and pick the guitar up, oh. you know, to find, you know, where it is and record a little bit of it before I forget it. Wow. Uh, this <laughs> yeah. has been such an honor and, and, and I've really enjoyed learning uh, a little bit more about you. I, I, before we go, I want to ask you a little bit about... Um, First of all, about droplets, we've mentioned them a couple of times. You're doing yeah. this series. It's a video series. I think it's really smart because you give us little morsels, you know, rather than sitting and, and watching this uh, five-hour documentary, you're giving yeah. us little pieces, little droplets that we that uh, accumulate over time. Um, yeah. I don't know if I should, if this is talking out of school or something, but uh, Mara John actually said to me that she... <laughs> <laughs> that she had to force you to do this, which yes, uh, yes. so uh, because I, I mean it seems like a natural idea. Why wouldn't you do this? But uh, it's kind of an autobiography, but it's the audio visual version. Tell me about where the idea came from and why you had to be forced to do it. I have written, you know, my memoirs, you know, here or there, snippets of them, you know, here, there, you know, but. Uh, many years ago, about six or seven, or perhaps more, uh, I started uh, really writing them down from the moment I was born, you know, and go on that way. The droplets that we recorded, one night I was uh, uh, looking at the book, you know, of my memoir, you know, that I've written, you know, my the hand manuscript. And the margin said, what are, what is that? I said, well, you know, these are the, the, you know, memories that, you know, I jot down, you know, lest I forget them. She said, can you read a couple of pages to me? I read it, said, well, you should do this. You should, you should let people hear this. You should record it. Actually, you know, I mean, she started, you know, <laughs> planning and I hate that. I hate planning. I hate, you know, things happening that way. So I said, okay. Do whatever you want with it. And she arranged everything. And then Navid John, Navid, Navid, you know, uh, fantastically directed it and recorded it. And uh, but, but Marjan, you know, I, if you like them, you owe them to Marjan. <laughs> it's, like, it's like some of the songs, you know, that I recorded recently, which I owe to Marjan. But you, but don't you like them yourself? I mean, now if you look back and watch these droplets, do, do you not like it yourself? I mean, it's it's khaterat, it's beautiful, you know. It's yes, a, I like them. I like them, and uh, for the mere fact that uh, I see it has a, a sort of uh, uh, effect on the youngsters, you know, who say, "Well, we didn't know that 
Tehran, you know, had this, had that. And uh, Tehran was uh, that size that you're mentioning, you know. I mean, because, you know, the Tehran that I remember through the words of my grandfather and everything was a much smaller Tehran and much uh, intimate uh, kind of a society. شهر فرنگیتون دنیای کوچک قصه ها شیرین ترینه قصه ها بود I remember all those things and to me uh, it was fascinating to write about them and then read them for the youngsters who perhaps are not so fluent in the reading Farsi and uh, tell them, you know, what uh, my childhood was like and what their city was like and what uh, happened, you know. Uh, it's also the, it's the documentation, uh, the public documentation of your story, of your history. And it begs the question, do you, are you someone who, uh, Farmer's John, do you care about legacy? Do you care about people, about being remembered and being remembered a certain way? Well, naturally, you know, when you uh, when you write and when you uh, record, you know, I mean, you you're hoping that uh, you live on through your work, the body of your work. Uh, I hope for years to come, you know, youngsters will uh, watch this and uh, uh, listen, and uh, especially especially in. Uh, remember how uh, things were and uh, how, how beautifully you can express yourself through this rich language and uh, pay a little bit more attention to the way they speak or the way they write. <laughs> You know, you've mentioned youngsters a couple of times now. You're not that old, but we but we might as well go there since you've mentioned uh, mortality and you coming to terms with the mortality existing at a, at a young age. Um, how do you feel about getting older? Uh, I think it's a natural process. <laughs> I honestly think so. And to me, so the only reality is death. Even birth is debatable. Hmm. But the only reality is death. So you might as well uh, like that too, you know, I mean, find it part of living. Are you someone who obsesses about, I've got to get these things done while I'm yeah. still young and active and I get, you know, are, are you like that? To be honest with you, I have left so many things undone that even if I live 200 years, <laughs> I won't be able to catch up. So I might as well relax a little bit. But <clears throat> as you mentioned, yes, the consciousness is there. I, I think, you know, I should uh, do more with uh, what I have. I have my poetry written in the back of Kleenex boxes, shoe boxes. I should gather them together and write them in one book and uh, do some publishing of my short stories, which I have written. I've written some short stories. I have my memoirs. I have to, I want to publish short stories and also you know so many songs that i want to record but fortunately you know i recorded hanuz in two version in this uh, covid era and also another song which is called yadist which i have recorded and it's a beautiful song and you will hear it perhaps in about a few weeks time 
and uh, that uh, and also there are more songs you know that i have to really get going by the way, where, where are these Kleenex boxes? Would that have all this poetry on the <laughs> let's, let's, you know, kudos to Marjan. She collects every piece of paper that I write on and I forget, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I go to find something else and I suddenly find a box with tissue paper <laughs> written poetry on it <laughs> all these kind of things i mean uh, i mean she's fantastic in that sense some valuable uh kleenex boxes hanging around your house we need to <laughs> we need to preserve those for the uh for well, the because music. you know when 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 it comes you know you might forget it you know the next moment so immediately you have to jot it down and then i'm too lazy to go and you know write it properly in a book or i forget it and uh, that that's that's what happens to it. You know, that's when the Kleenex box becomes a, a written <laughs> word. I want to end to a certain extent where we started, um, and and talking about timeless music. You know, one of the other things that reminds me that makes me think of Leonard Cohen when I think of you is that Leonard Cohen, no matter how far his career would go or how old he would get, he, he had this cross-generation appeal. You would go to a, a Leonard Cohen concert and there'd be people of all ages. And that's really true of you. I mean, people, uh, uh, you don't seem to have an age demographic. <laughs> you know, you're not a boomer artist like the Eagles who's playing to a bunch of boomers. Uh, and I guess that's part of you know that huge song and and part of the way that you've built this this career and this um but tell me if you have a sense of why you've what it is that gives you that cross-generational appeal uh, let me say that to begin with to be compared with that great man is a great honor and i am totally chuffed about it and uh because i respected him throughout all the years that I listened to his albums and his poetry and his music and you know so forth and so on and uh, you you say you know he uh, appealed to a cross-section of uh, people because because he was honest he was honest about his music and about his writing and about uh, what beliefs he had he was honest about it, you know, he uh, shared it. You know, some, some writers, you know, sort of dictate their art, some artists, some share it. He was one of those who shared it. Mm. He brought it with his hands open like that and said, here, this is a gift for you. But some people say, well, if you want it, come and get it. You know, I mean, <laughs> close-fisted about it. He wasn't. He was a great man, and it's an honor to be compared with him. But uh, because I uh, not only write about my own experience in my music and also in my prose, I also uh, write on behalf of someone who wants to say something I cannot somebody who's in love with someone is burning with love and wants to say to his beloved uh, how much he feels for her cannot i write on his behalf mm. like a playwright you know who writes different characters mm. i write on behalf of this person who's in love with a woman and uh, is uh, lamenting the separation or the 
end of their love. And also, always, you know, there is a snippet of myself in whatever I write or whatever I sing or whatever I do, uh, which is which can be as small as a signature. You know, if you don't mind me making an observation, I uh, that one of the things I always say about Leonard Cohen, one of the things that made him so special is the songs that he wrote. You talked about that first record, Suzanne and Bird on Wire. Those songs that he wrote uh, in his 20s were almost more appropriate as he would get older. They made more sense when he was singing them in his 50s and then in his 60s. And, then, and, and, and I think that's not untrue of you. You know, that the that the 60-something uh, uh, Faramaz Aslani singing Divor makes uh, as much sense or more than the 26-year-old, you know? And maybe that's part of your lasting appeal as well. It is funny because uh, as a young man when I was writing, I always imagined myself much older. You know, I always said, oh, yesteryears, you know, I mean, I mean, yesteryears were only 16 or 17 years <laughs> prior to that, but always. It, this is in poetry, you know, this is a poetic license, perhaps, that you always reminisce about the past and, you know, use elements of nostalgia in your work, you know. It's, uh, I mean, I was only 25, you know, when I was saying, you know, that, oh, you know, I have, my life has ended now that I'm getting old, that I, you know, my hair is probably going white in a few years, you know, <laughs> all these things, you know, happen. And uh, it, it, it is a vast uh, world of feelings and uh, complications. And uh, but if you look at it in a positive way, you know, it can come to your uh, rescue and uh, it can uh, anchor you down with yourself and you become a very relaxed kind of person and uh, make life easy. <laughs> A final question to you. Yes. When you're an Iranian icon in in this moment, um, I mean, in this moment of the last 42 years, but at a time when um, there continues to be a turmoil uh, associated with the, inside Iran and for, for a lot of the people in the diaspora, there continues to be factions of people who have different prescriptions for how this can be fixed and how yes. things have to be changed and all of that. Um, is it hard to navigate those waters and uh, wh where I'm sure that you face the pressure from all kinds of different voices and groups to stand for something here or say something about something else or, or make a, a release a statement or, 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 or how do you navigate those waters? Well, first of all, you know, it is uh, not possible to be oblivious to it. You know, I mean, the, I can see, you know, what tragedy is happening, you know, especially uh, through uh, uh, the contact I have with young people, how unhappy they are, and at times how disillusioned they find themselves. 
but thank God, you know, for uh, the social media, because at least, you know, they have some kind of an outlet. That to me is the biggest tragedy, it's a big tragedy, because I can see huge talents, you know, being wasted, I can see huge talents being punished for their talents. You know, that, that is a great tragedy, you know, you have an art, you know, you want to share it with the world, but you're punished because you're talented and because you're good in something. Yeah. I think the recipe is that uh, the young people of Iran will one day do what is right and that is get their right in this world and from the ones that have denied it them. They must and they will. 40 some odd years is nothing in the eyes of the history of history, you know. Mm. We've, we've been through many upheavals as such, many, you know, decades. I am sure, I am positive that the young people of my country are wiser and more educated than that and will one day uh, rise against injustice, which they are facing every single day. It's still your country, huh? Even when you've spent more than twice the amount of time outside of Iran than inside. Yeah, I, I, I always thought, you know, that uh, a man is like a fountain. He should fall when he rises. Hmm. I rose in that country. I like to fall in that country. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. But uh, that, is, that is a poetic way of uh, explaining the way I feel. You know, I mean... Wherever I go, I've been to the most beautiful places in this world. And I always compare them with uh, our Caspian region, mm -hmm. with our deserts, with our waters, with our lakes, you know. <laughs> it's inevitable. After all these years, I've only lived in Iran for a very short while. You know, most of my life I've been abroad. Yes. But uh, that, that it's inescapable. It, it, it's a feeling that is inborn and you cannot do anything about it especially you know when you had that kind of a grandfather i hope my kids you know my daughters who live in england you know will uh, one day realize you know that uh, you know their father did something right and you know <laughs> uh, you don't think they've realized that already <laughs> oh yes they do they're so proud of me i mean i'm so happy you know they're they're lovely they're lovely young ladies and uh, you talked about legacy, you know, that's, that's my legacy for them, you know, and uh, a good name that I would leave <laughs> from me. Farmas, I want to go out on the song uh, that you referenced uh, a little while ago, um, your song from 2020, uh, you, you released just this past year called Hanuz. What can yeah. you tell us about this one? This uh, was uh, done right at the beginning of... Uh, getting to grips with the COVID and that uh, things are changed and everything. And uh, I had written that song and I wanted to record it, you know, so we were fortunate enough to be able to record it because right after that, all the studios were closed and all these kind of things and I wasn't, but, you know, fortunately I was able to record that. This has been a great pleasure. I, I'm very grateful to you. Thank you so much, Yonjan. Thank you for uh, inviting me. I thank uh, all your colleagues there, Shayan, who put us uh, 
in touch, you know, through our picture and through the vocals and all your colleagues there. And I thank you very much for the line of questioning, which was uh, quite refreshing. Uh Thank you. I hope to see you uh, uh, post-COVID back on tour so we can get you back here in Canada. And Absolutely. You do, might do, see me in Canada. Do more soon. of this in person. Khedi, <laughs> khedi Merci. Thank you, Giandra. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Farmaz Aslani. The legendary Iranian-American composer, songwriter, instrumentalist, the man with the satin voice. Farmaz Aslani joined us from Los Angeles today. هنوزم آن که از من دور گشتی عشق میبارم تو خوبی من خرابم نبودت سخت بیمارم به من گفتی برو با عشق خود دیگر میازارم ولی من ولی من دوستت دارم تو سوزم ساز من هستی سروده واژگان من تو خورشیدی تو محتابی شکوه آسمان من به من گفتی که از این دیوان بازی دست بردارم ولی من ولی من دوستت دارم ولی من دوستت دارم مگر چه بی وفایی تو به من گفتی که با قمهای دنیا آشنایی تو قم من را نمیدانی نمیدانم کجایی تو تمام یاد بوده عشق ما را باد ها برده ببین این جانش هسته عاشق تنها افسرده که بی تو چینی عمرش sounds of the song Hanuz one of the latest compositions and recordings by Faramaz Aslani Whew. Microphone's back on for Captain Reza, Groovy Shia, and the fabulous Keon. Well, of course, I love that. I mean, that uh, I loved him uh, telling the story of falling in love at six years old, and uh, I loved his candor about how he stuck to his gun. You know, I'm thinking about this now. He's 27 years old when that first record came out in 77, around, around that age. Mm-hmm. And think about the strength that this kid would have had, you know, to, to, to kind of push back not only against the record company and the norms of the time to say, no, I just want acoustic guitar and, and the, you know, the production sound of it uh, with his debut record. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. but to also say, no, it's going to be my lyrics. He was implying there it sounded like that there were not just record company executives and, and uh, other folks and agents or whatever, but even lyric writers saying, no, no, you should use yeah. our lyrics, not your own. And he sticks, sticks to his guns and he, he makes this classic record. I mean, uh, I, wow. You it know? takes a lot of guts to do that. 
for sure for <laughs> sure and then there's the tragic part where he you know he's just getting started yeah. um who is it Mansour Bahrami the tennis player yeah. it's mm-hmm. one of these stories where he's just becoming the best tennis player mm-hmm. one of the best in the world and then the revolution yeah. happens oh, yeah. and so you'll never know what would have happened to Farah Aslani yeah. career I mean it's great what has happened mm-hmm. you know but if he hadn't been forced to leave Iran in that moment and yeah. so it's just such a wild story and then the fact that he's continuing today with so much and he's got so much to say and he's yeah. so genuine and real and sweet and yeah. uh, he's everything you'd I want him to be everything you'd want mm. him to be you know yeah. um so i should go to you for by the way i was joking about earlier shyon <laughs> <laughs> i i'm never calling you shia again <laughs> How now many that times now that an Iranian icon that we're all in love with has called you Shion, <laughs> I don't think I think you should just be Shion. <laughs> what an honor! Uh, uh, yeah. Shion, how did you feel? Uh, uh, I love farmers. I love, but actually, before the interview, you told me that. Do you know that farmers wrote all his lyrics? And I was really, I know. Yeah. That really blew my mind. I, I love his lyrics. It's amazing, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, Captain Reza, you want to say something? Yeah, where to begin, though? Like, I had no idea he was a journalist, first mm-hmm. of all. Ooh, it was so shocking to me. Yeah. And I know uh, that uh, I was talking to uh, Savi Roham, and he said, no, he knew it because he w- he's uh, like a, a fanatic uh, fan of uh, uh, Farmer's Aslani. But to me, it was more so his love story when he fell in love when he was six years old. It was crazy because it reminded me of my own story. Like, the first time I fell in love, I was 15. Uh, mm. th- there was a girl in our neighborhood. She the same girl it. that Farmer's? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> she's, she's quite a woman. <laughs> Mom's friend. <laughs> it was so funny. And she was w- she was older than me. I was like of fifteen. She, she was, was twenty five or something. She was oh. university. And she never found out. She never found oh. out that I was in love with her. Aww. Yeah, it was so interesting. It took. Did you back. meet her? I sh- I well, of course. Well, not. We never met officially. We never like. Okay. But she knew of me, and I knew of of course okay. I would was leave the house, inspired? stand in a corner, this, watch uh, her this go. This story invites more questions, yeah, than that. I don't know how much we want to <laughs> cover this, this right now. Are we still talking about Farah's? I like, totally forgotten about so it. Like, as soon as he <laughs> said it, I was like, Persian Aww. version of the graduate, you know. And then <laughs> I had pictures of her. And, uh, okay, and then Kian uh, Kian June, your I, thoughts. The only thing I knew about Farmaz Aslani in the like till this till this interview was the fact that he sang that beautiful Age song Age Yeruzi, yeah. which I adore. What um, do you call it? Age Yeruzi. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 why, why is that so? No, funny? that's fine. It's you fine. know, I'm an yeah. Iranian kid that grew up in the diaspora. Yes, I was yes. born and raised, so yes. the fact that I even listen to Persian music here and there is you know profound. Yes. yes. So I have a newfound appreciation for this man. I you don't appreciate someone until you know their story Mm. and just listening to all parts of that like him falling in love with those neighbors and um what he had to face like facing a record uh, what what was it the studio Mm -hmm. and putting his foot down um saying that he insists that this is what he feels Mm -hmm. like like that Mm -hmm. that that's out of this world you know know, let me just stop you there are there are people listening going 
Faramaz has been an icon for decades. Right. How how is this woman not know? What, but but I'm, I actually find this beautiful. You didn't know much about him. No. You weren't necessarily a big fan like some of us were before this interview. Right. Th- through this interview, you have become this fan, and I think that's beautiful. Not just yeah. of his music, but of his soul. He's yes. just something. Yes. Really well, the, you know, special. I I don't know if I overdid it, but when I, when I make those Leonard Cohen comparisons, mm-hmm. which I've never done before, I don't right. think I've ever called anyone else no. the Leonard Cohen because no, no. Leonard to me is on this mountain, you know, right. by himself. But it's partly the character. It's partly yeah. the the energy that he gives mm-hmm. off. You know, this beautiful beautiful energy yeah. um, so that's great I'm sure Faramaz will be thrilled that he's got one more fan <laughs> listen Keon, there's a lot of us Iranian kids in the diaspora that, <laughs> absolutely yeah. I, I kid uh, I, by the way a big thank you to some of the folks who have generously made this program and this interview possible Behnaz Brenda Jafrudi is a licensed mortgage agent and broker in Toronto who has built a strong expertise in the mortgage industry over 10 years and has received multiple awards she is proud to offer her clients especially her persian community one-stop convenience to meet their financing needs to buy their first home refinance an existing mortgage acquire a new business renovate their property plan a family holiday she is accessible and personable and can be found at brendajafrudi.com brendajafrudi.com merci to uh behnaz brenda jafrudi look her up folks and a huge thank you to reza ghazi and Greenflow Financial. Greenflow is uh, currently nominated, Keon, as a finalist for the Heaven Tree Bank Award for wow. Digital Innovator of the Year in conjunction with two other awards by the Canadian Mortgage Professionals uh, Magazine. So it's, this is a very digital forward mm-hmm. company. Yeah. You know, Greenflow Financial is a mortgage lending and brokerage firm based in Toronto and Ottawa. The founder and CEO is Reza Ghazi and Reza is uh, he's a bundle of positive energy and an award-winning philanthropist and volunteer who has given so much back to the Persian community, continues to do so. Thank you to Reza and Greenflow Financial. And finally, a shout-out to Arash and Anita Fazilipur, who are the founders of MyTerms.ca, a successful mortgage company in, in Ontario. They believe in educating their clients to understand every aspect of the financing being obtained, and they see each transaction through from beginning to end to make sure that they are closed with ease. If you're looking for a mortgage in Toronto or the greater Ontario region, go to myterms.ca, myterms.ca, both Arash and Anita also make it a priority to give back to the Persian community. Big thanks to them and myterms.ca. You see, Keon? This is an example of a couple who went into uh, a personal relationship mm-hmm. and a business. It's beautiful. Those you two. and the doctor could do that. <laughs> well, yes, I don't know how, but we'll find a way. <laughs> Maybe you start I a medical promote. firm together. That's the idea, one day. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'll promote it. I'll go out with a microphone. Hey, everybody, come on in. I, whenever I hear that, I go, I don't know, you know, what? mixing the church and state, yeah, like bringing a personal know. business. But these guys have been, Arash and Anita, it's 20 years now. They've been life partners and business partners. I Good for them. The and they have kids. Is. Wow. I've seen it. Like my accountant, he, he worked with his wife. But I, I just don't know. Like I need a break. I need me time. Yeah. You know? I don't yeah. know. And you're like one one month into the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> it's been almost she needs a year. Me time. <laughs> I need me time from you guys, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Uh, anyway, thank you to all of those folks. Oh, by the way. 
uh, on this one year anniversary. I mean, officially next week. I'm going to do this properly next week. Uh, next week I'll do this properly yeah. because you guys know we've got this cake sitting That's out right. there. We've got this right. incredible cake that has been made. There's a place called Arnica Bakery, a woman named Mariam Azizi has given us a cake for our, made us this cake, we gotta take pictures of this, mm-hmm. uh, for our one year anniversary. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about it properly next week on the show, but I wanted to give the shout out well, the, the Faramaz episode here too. Thank you to Arnica Bakery. Uh, it's amazing and hopefully Shia won't eat it all before, <laughs> uh, before we take a picture of it. <laughs> Have you even, you probably start. You just listen everybody, Faramaz Aslani, it's the 100th episode. We love our audience. Thank you so much. But we've got to get down to business. And the business is, it's Thursday. You know what that means. She's a dear friend, a diaspora blend, a gym workout cat, and a bicultural brat. But lovable, smart, and funny, and on a journey to discover what we actually discovered. Here we go, Batshaha. It's all Persian to us with Kion Nademi. <laughs> Our music sounds so shitty after all the, <laughs> the Farabaz Aslani songs. How it's just like, don't play the theme. It's a, you know, it's fantastic. We just we just played these iconic Farabaz anthems. And, and then, like, bee, 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 bee. Then you got Captain Reza with Abia. Reminds me of those Iranian org parties. Just had like literally the best voice, the velvet voice, best voice in history. Abia. Okay. All right, it's all Persian to us. Keon, what have you got for us? Well, knowing that we had a musical legend coming on the show today, it got me thinking. The art of music is as old as time, so of course it's been a common theme in our Persian culture for thousands of years. And as an ancient culture, the Persians were pioneers in many different fields, including music. Now I had always heard this rumor that Persians invented one of the most popular instruments in the world. But like with everything else, I took it with a grain of salt because of course, according to Persians, we've created everything, so you know. So I took a deep dive to investigate this claim and it turns out to be true. The second most popular instrument in the world does in fact have Persian roots. Do you know what that is, the, the instrument? Gu- the, the guitar. Yes, yes, the guitar. The very first version of the very thing that dear Faramaz Aslani holds in his hands comes from Persia. Whoa. The first guitar-like instrument, guitar-like, now don't oh, quote okay. me on right. guitar, okay. showed up in history about 3,500 years ago in our very own native land of ancient Persia. Mm. In the old Persian capital of Susa, to be exact, where evidence of guitar-like instruments came in the form of... Shusha. Shusha. Well, it's, I mean, I'm speaking English, so it's Susa, Shusha. Is it Shusha? It's Shush, but I don't know its pronunciation in English. Well, in English, it's it's written as Susa, so... But thank you for that, Chaya. (laughs) So, yes, the first evidence of a guitar... (laughs) The first Persian city of Hookah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yes, the first evidence of guitar-like instruments came in the form of ancient statues and carvings in Shush or Susa, depending on which language you're speaking. This ancient instrument was called the tanbur, a pear-shaped instrument made of mulberry wood with a deep hollow and a long neck with two to three strings on it. 
This instrument is known as the forefather of all stringed instruments around the world, including the modern guitar. Mm-hmm. Originally, in its ancient form back in 1500 BC, it was fretted and strung with guts of slaughtered animals, usually cows or cats. Meow. Cats? Did, yes. Oh my god. <laughs> well, well, what are they going to use to uh, make instruments? You you know, you work with your... I guess your, it was 1500 There BC. were lots of cats, <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> yeah, Raza. There's yeah. trees and all kinds of things, but we used cats to make <laughs> instruments. <laughs> what's wrong with that? Yeah, Raza, what's wrong with that? Cats. Yeah, Raza. Oh my god. M- might I add, this was ancient times. This is not how well, they create there's them There's literally now. nothing around, apparently, except for cats. <laughs> <laughs> Those pesky cats. Hmm. Let me see now. I've got that plank of wood <laughs> or a cat. What should I make an instrument from? Well, the cat, probably. The cat's probably oh, better horrible. for the they, they probably did trial and error and they found the guts the of cats and, and cows. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, playing the tambour was common, at least by the Parthian era and the Sasanian period of Persia, which ranged between 247 BC and 651 AD. And the instrument quickly migrated to other countries who developed their own version of stringed instruments. Within Persia, however, it later developed into the closest relative of the modern-day guitar. Another Persian instrument called the tar, yes, which literally translates to string in the Persian language. And from this, you have the dotar, sitar, the chartar, panchtar, which all translate to the number of strings they have, you know, yegdo, sitar, panch, in case you didn't know, Gion. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. So anyway, the word guitar itself comes from the Persian chartar, translating to four strings, which is the exact number of strings it had when it first arrived on the shores of Spain along with the Moors when they occupied the uh, Andalusian territory of Spain in 711 AD, I believe it was. Yes, it was. Eventually, the Chartar developed and changed within Spain when instead of four strings alone, it acquired four pairs of strings. And the pronunciation of the word changed to a more Spanish-sounding chitara or kitara, and eventually becoming guitar. Oh. And so what we know as the modern guitar first came from Spain but the origin story of the string instrument goes back much further than that to ancient Persia. As always, it's all Persian mm. to us. Love it. Very well themed mm. with uh, Faramaz Aslani. Now, do you know how I know about the tambour? How do you know? Because uh, there was a great documentary mm-hmm. made about the tambour. First of all, one of the great players of the tambour, I, I don't remember his name, died just a few years ago oh. when he was over 100 years old. But he was up in the mountains of Iran. He was still playing. Was he Kurdish? It's very popular. Yes, in Kurdish I culture. think he was Kurdish. Yeah. So there's a great filmmaker that I'm. I think some of you guys would know a, mm-hmm. a, a Toronto film critic and filmmaker named uh, Arif Mohammadi. Oh, okay. And Arif made a film. Now I think it's called Song of God. I can't remember, but it's a documentary that he just made in the last few years wow. about the tambour, which also has. I mean, I think you you know it, but it has some very spiritual mm. kind of uh, yeah. qualities to it. Yeah. It's 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 it is like literally, you know, considered uh, yeah. the each string represents mm-hmm. something to do with spirituality and God. And did yeah. you find the name of it? Song of God. Song of God. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, so beautiful, awesome. a beautiful uh, uh, documentary. Um, okay. And uh, so, if anybody's interested in that, they should look it up. RF does great work. Definitely. And uh, it's lovely. Yeah. And, but thank nice. you, Keon for reminding us all that the guitar 
yeah. is uh, has Persian origins. Has Persian origins. Yeah. I, I didn't remember that the name. I guess it makes sense since yeah. tar. Yeah. You know, guitar. Yeah, yeah. it's not just That's a coincidence. It never is. Really. There you go. Thank you, <laughs> Keon. Uh, Kim Nadini, <laughs> Shion, and Captain Reza, and your 15-year-old girlfriend, <laughs> or your 25-year-old girlfriend when you were 15, uh, in your mind. Uh, thank you to uh, everybody listening. Thank you to Farah Mars and Mara John for helping us make that interview happen. Uh, thank you to our patrons, those of you who are supporting us by going to our website. This is full time for Rook for today. That website, by the way, is rookmedia.com. Rookmedia.com where you can support us by pressing the button that says support us. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Producer Susan, Ponta the artist, Thoughtful Nagin, the fabulous Keon, Sabi, Roham, Ahay Mehrdad, Master Muhammad, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shia. Thank you again to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already on any of those platforms, Instagram or SoundCloud or Spotify. Telegram, uh, and you can find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. Thanks again, everybody. Mizun Bashim. <laughs>